It was a joy to engage via live stream last weekend. My wife Beth and I were out in New York visiting our youngest daughter Megan and her husband Lucas. We were both moved to tears by our students leading in the musical part of our worship. And we nearly wept during the message part of worship as Pastor Chris directed us to celebrate God's provision and his providence, recognizing that he is all-powerful and also personal, which should and must lead us to a response of praise. And so I listened to Pastor Chris twice last weekend. I listened to the Saturday night service, and then on Sunday, we live-streamed it. And I did note that the service ended 15 minutes early. So as I was meandering and meditating on this amazing service last weekend, it all came crashing down when I received a text from Edgewood member Tracy Chikulski. This is her text. Went to church last night and Chris preached on in the beginning and God saw that it was good. At 6 p.m., I saw that it was good. (laughs) Service over. I told Chris he should tell you to take note, and he laughed. Pastor Ed said, text Brian that, so of course I had to. I quickly sent a reply. It was the only bad thing about his message. (laughs) It was rough. A couple days ago, somebody came up to me, a real serious look on his face, and he said, we finally had a good message at Edgewood last weekend. Well, Pastor Chris took us through the second and third days of creation. Well, today I'm going to be cashing in on those extra 15 minutes he left on the table (laughs) because we're going to consider days four, five, and part of day six. And then we're going to slow the pace down during the next three weeks as we unpack the closing verses of Genesis chapter 1. We're going to discover how these verses have remarkable application to our contemporary culture right now, dealing with issues like our upcoming election, abortion, gender, sexuality, God's design for marriage, and we'll discover that God has a purpose for our lives. Now, you might want to invite a friend or a family member to join you next week, or send the link to them after the service. Uh, Parents, I do want to give you a heads up that the next couple sermons will have a PG rating, which some children may not be ready to hear, but if you as parents think they are ready to hear, uh, then they should probably hear it. Well, here's where we're headed, November 5th and 6th. Our topic is image is everything. And then that following weekend, November 12th and 13, we're going to take the whole message on the topic of gender. November 19th and 20th, created on purpose. Now, as we journey through the six days of creation, we can see two triads. God formed creation on days one through three, and then he finished creation, or filled creation on days four through six. Uh, We've quoted Matthew Henry in this regard. God created the frame 
and the furniture of the universe. Isaiah 45, 18, he did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. Now, if we take the first, second, and third days of creation and we line them up with the fourth, fifth, and sixth days, we can see an amazing symmetry. Would you observe? Day one, he created light. Day four, he created the sun and the moon and the stars. Day two, he created the sea and the sky. Day five, he fills the sea and the sky with fish and birds. Day three, creates the earth. Day six, the creatures who live on the earth. I invite us to go back to the second verse in Genesis chapter 1. And we read that the earth was without form and it was void and darkness was over the face of the deep. We can see how the Lord addressed this formlessness on days one through three, and he filled the emptiness on days four through six. Here's our main idea. Here's what I'm hoping we get. God forms and fills his creation for his glory and for our good. This makes me think of the answer to the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Basically, the question is, why are we here? Here's the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or as we've stated previously on Reformation Sunday, which is today, soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. It's good for us to rehearse those statements in Scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, through or because of Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above, the sky above's got a message It's proclaiming his handiwork. Psalm 150, verse 1, praise him in the highest heavens. Now, as we consider how creation gives glory to God, I am humbled to be part of a church that from its very inception has stood on the word of God, embracing inerrancy and the authority of Scripture. Recently, I came across a booklet. It's called Your Church and You. I don't even know how I got it. I think someone gave it to me. I put it in one of my drawers in my office. And recently, I opened that drawer up and came across this booklet. This booklet was published in 1957. Reverend William Sears and the deacons put this booklet together Let me draw your attention to page 15 under statements about what we believe, what this church believes. Check this out. We believe in the Genesis account of the creation. 
and that it is to be accepted literally and not allegorically or figuratively. That man was created in innocence in God's own image and after God's own likeness. That man's creation was not a matter of evolution or change of species or development over long periods of time from lower to higher forms. That all animal and vegetable life was made directly and God's established law was that they should bring forth after their own kind." Friends, let's get, yeah, glory to God, for God has always moved in this church. So let's give God glory, and let's enjoy him now. I want to invite you to worship. I don't know what kind of week you had, and for some of you it was crummy, but we're here today, and so since we're here, let's, let's continue worshiping, right? So as we look at God's word and what he has for us today, let's come underneath the scriptures what the Bible says, that's what we want to say. Having created light singular on the first day, God now creates lights plural on the fourth day. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand and let's read this section of scripture together. We'll begin in verse 14. Okay, let's read together. And God said... Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first, fourth day. Thank you. You can be seated. So that phrase, let there be lights, indicates that this is a new creative act of Elohim, As we learned a couple weeks ago, when God says it, that settles it. Oh, would you observe something here? Moses avoids using the words sun and moon. Why? Well, because the title sun and moon, well, they were considered God, small g, in Egypt. Deuteronomy 4.19 warns, and beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Friends, God alone is king over his creation. I was moved last week when Pastor Chris described an early morning when he was sitting in his car and was watching the sun come up. And what hit him is the same sun that he was looking at is the same sun God created. God hasn't changed that sun. It's not sun 2.0. It's the same sun that caused him to worship. And so as steady and as predictable as the sun appears, let's be reminded that God shows his sovereignty over the sun on various occasions. I think of four in Joshua chapter 10. God made the sun stand still for an entire day. 
Why? So the Israelites had more time to win a battle. In 2 Kings chapter 20, God turned back the shadow of the sun on a sundial on the steps as a sign to show Hezekiah he would be healed, and he went on to live an additional 15 years. In Luke chapter 23, when Jesus is on the cross and he becomes substitute, he becomes our final sacrifice for sin. The sky went black. The sun stopped shining for three hours while Jesus absorbed our sins upon himself. And then according to Revelation 6, verse 12, during the great tribulation, the sun will be as black as sackcloth and the full moon will become like blood. Now, we see some roles for the sun, moon, and stars. First, it's to separate the day and night. Secondly, to serve as a sign. A sign is this awe-inspiring event this mark or miracle, every time we gaze upon the heavens, we are seeing this dazzling display of God's glory. When we see the heavenly luminaries, we can't help but give glory to the Lord of heaven and earth. Or as we read in the book of James, that God is referred to as the father of lights. Also, they're given to us to give us seasons. The orbit of the earth around the sun determines the length of our year, providing seasons for sowing and seasons for harvest. God in his glory has ordained the sun and the moon to provide measures of time, so we have days and years. The cycles are daily reminders of God's provision and his presence. Every time you see the sun come up, your mind should go to Lamentations chapter 3. Your mercies are new every, what? Every morning. This is a new day that we get to live in God's mercies. The lunar cycles helped Israel remember their appointed feasts and their festivals. We see that in Psalm 81, verse 3. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. And we also see that they provide shining or light. They give light upon the earth. Isn't it interesting how the greater and lesser lights, the sun and the moon, get most of the attention in these verses? And then almost as an afterthought, we read these words. Oh, and the stars. (laughs) Why is that? Well, I think it's because the emphasis is on the earth in Genesis chapter 1, and it's on people in the rest of the Bible. Our galaxy alone has 200 billion stars, and there are billions of galaxies. Astronomers can't even count all the stars, much less give names to them. And yet, let me invite you to worship as you ponder this. Isaiah 40, verse 26 tells us God notices and names each of them, each one of them, because he created them. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number 
calling them all by name. The greatness of his might because or by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. In addition, 1 Corinthians 15.41 says all the stars are different from each other, for star differs from star and glory. So as, ma- as amazing as they are, stars don't rule our lives. Only God does. I like how one pastor said it, the sun, moon, and stars are not divine gods or horoscope helps. So let me just say this. If you've been consulting your horoscope, you should be horrified by that and stop. It's time to repent of that and seek only the holy God for his leading in your life. He alone holds your future. I mean, how much better to follow the creator of the stars than these inanimate objects up in the sky? Let me say it like this. How can stars in the sky have any clue what's in store for you tomorrow? I mean, how do stars know? Now, having said that, since God made the stars... He has used them as signs before, as he did when some wise guys were looking up into the sky and they see a star and they follow it to where the Christ child is, Matthew 2. In the scriptures, the sun is repeatedly used as a symbol of Jesus Christ, Malachi 4.2, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. A star also symbolized that there was a coming ruler, as stated in Numbers 24, 17. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Friends, mark this. God forms and he fills his creation for his glory and for our good. Well, let's head to day five. God formed the seas and the skies on the second day, and now he fills the seas and skies with fish and fowl. Or as one commentator put it, the finny and the feathery. (laughs) Let's turn our attention now to Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. You can remain seated, but listen to God's word. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms, of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was, what? Good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. The command for the waters to swarm with living creatures refers to this swift movement back and forth. The idea of teeming, multiplying. It's the thought of an untold number of moving creatures who are swimming and swarming. Some of you are thinking of Nemo right now. 
Well, Ezekiel 47, verse 9, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. Those of you who like to fish are happy about that verse. Jason Jason Crosby had some good insight on this when he said these words. Isn't it incredible that he spoke and an immeasurable number immediately appeared? Do you know how long it would take me to create just one fish that I'd never seen at any other time in history? God speaks, and an immeasurable number appears. Verse 21 says, God created the great sea creatures, which included whales and the amphibious dinosaurs. They're described in Job chapter 7, verse 12, the Leviathan. It was especially significant for the Israelites to hear that God is the one who created the sea creatures. Why? Well, because their pagan neighbors worshipped a mythical sea monster named Rahab. Psalm 148.7 tells us these creatures create a chorus of praise to the creator. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Some time ago, I watched a documentary showcasing swarms of fish and how scientists are still discovering species at the bottom of the ocean. Because of technology, we're now sending like robots miles down to the floor of the ocean. And they're seeing, they're seeing fish and sea creatures that have never been documented before. One article referred to the ocean as one of the last undiscovered areas on earth. Scientists discover and describe new species every year. In 2021, at least 2,241 new marine animals and plants were described worldwide. It is estimated that there are still about 1.5 million species undiscovered in the world's seas. God also created birds, or more literally, the flying ones, to fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Now, while God created creatures to be autonomous and to move according to their instincts, they're still controlled by the Creator to do his bidding. I thought of three examples. Think of the great fish that God sent to swallow Jonah and then barf him up on the beach. (laughs) Can I say barf in church? (laughs) It's okay. Matt, is that okay? All right, good. Thank you. (laughs) Too late now. Or how about when he commanded frogs and lice and flies and locusts to plague Egypt. Or when he commandeered ravens to feed Elijah. God created all this beauty, all this diversity, all this color, and all this movement for his pleasure, for his glory, and for our good. You have observed, haven't you, that there's an underlying order in the universe. There's a design of everything and a design of everyone. John Frame says it like this, God created a world that is unnecessarily diverse and abundant. Think about it. God created sharks and sparrows 
eagles and eels, sea bass and seahorses, crappie and canaries, piranhas and parrots, rainbow trout and robin, swordfish and squid, walrus and wingbats. <laughs> he created the heavens and the earth as an arena to display his glory. And then he populated it with variety on purpose for his purposes. Are you worshiping yet? Psalm 104, O Lord, how manifold are your works. There's like too many. In wisdom, you've made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures, innumerable living things, both small and great. Now, verse 22 is very interesting because it tells us that this is the first instance of God blessing what he created. The word blessing is used 88 times in various forms in the book of Genesis, more than in any other book in the Old Testament. One commentator says the book of Genesis ends with this abundant burst of blessing in Jacob's parting words. Isn't it interesting? The first blessing is not for humans, It's for beluga whales and blue jays. God blesses them first. That word bless means to enrich and to endow, to salute, unbended knee. Blessing is linked to the ability to multiply and reproduce. Do you see it there? It said God blessed, and then we see be fruitful and multiply and fill. We also see this in the blessing God gave to humans. Look down at verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. The Creator God wants His creation to be fruitful, to flourish, and to fill what He has Formed. This fruitfulness comes from divine decree, not from some pagan cultic fertility ritual. And those were the people Israel was surrounded by. Since God is blessed by what he has birthed, he blesses his creation so his creation will give birth and multiply. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean you're not blessed if you're single or you don't have children or you struggle with infertility. I've quoted my pastor friend, Ben Lovelady, previously, but I can't help doing so again. Check out his insight. The first destination of his blessing is in the realm of birds and marine life. What's fascinating is that they've already been pronounced good, Genesis 1.21. So the reader is meant to understand blessed as a state beyond good. Blessing is a good upon good, moving past the threshold of good into uncharted territory of unimaginable abundance. Understanding how the blessing of God is meted out throughout Genesis causes a proper image of him to emerge. He is a God who loves vast fullness, channeled in the most wondrous and productive way. 
And he also delights in bestowing that blessing upon the most unlikely of people against the most troublesome odds. Now here's a principle. You see it throughout the Bible. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. In Genesis chapter 12, God blessed Abram so that he in turn would bless the nations. Genesis 12, 2, I will bless you. I'll make your name great, comma, so that you will be a blessing. I'll create a new nation so that you bless the nations. That was Israel's task. They didn't do a very good job of that if you read through the Old Testament. God desires for his creation to reproduce, and he longs for the great commission to multiply as you and I make disciples of our nations and our nations. Incidentally, one of our three new men's groups is studying material called Multiply. Uh, Del Jensen, who's in the back there, leads that on Thursday mornings. There's a men's group meeting right now down on the lower level. So men, if you're looking to plug in, I'm seeing a movement of men here at Edgewood living on mission. We had about 50 guys out at a bonfire this week. This August, 110 guys got together. I can't wait to see what God does with that. Speaking of multiplying, we still need more servants to serve on the snow removal team. Now, I thought Scott Shattuck gave a fabulous announcement, and I asked him this week, I said, Scott, how many people signed up? And he said, no one. And I'm like, all right, let me take a shot at this. (laughs) So if you're looking to serve, and we thought maybe one reason people are hesitant, it's not like you say, well, I'll serve, and every time it snows, you have to come here. No, Scott puts a schedule together, so you'll know. You'll get to pick kind of the week that you're on if it snows in that week. I also want to mention something that's happening in our community through the ministry of one of our GO Team partners called Youth Hope. Last year, one of the schools in East Moline reached out to Youth Hope and they said, we got a a number of young guys, like second, third graders, who are really struggling. And the teachers don't know what to do to help them. And the administration didn't know what to do. So they turned to Youth Hope, a Christian ministry, and said, can you help us? And so Youth Hope put together this pilot program matching men with these young guys once a month during the noon hour. And I had the joy of being part of that pilot program, as did about five other guys from Edgewood. Well, that school has asked for help again this year. And this year, they have 30 young men who need mentors. And so I'm just laying this challenge out to to the guys of Edgewood. We'll meet once a month on Wednesdays during the lunch hour. The first time we meet is November 9th. Friends, God forms and he fills his creation for his glory and our good. Let's move to day six. God formed the dry land on the third day. And when conditions were right for life, God filled the land with animals and mankind on the sixth day. You can sense creation building, building toward a climax on day six. And that will culminate 
in the creation of humans made in the very image of God. That's our topic next weekend. Listen now to verses 24 and 25. And God said, let the earth... Oh, let me just remark, it doesn't say Mother Earth here, does it? Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. That phrase, according to its kind or according to their kinds, is used 10 times in Genesis chapter 1. That means it's important. It indicates that there are separate species and separate genders which are distinct and different. God established categories of creation. Oh, in addition, if you're counting, notice the word separate is used five times in the first chapter, and that means to set apart. This is a word of distinction or differentiation. That's why a squirrel always gives birth to a squirrel and not a squid. (laughs) One commentator says the great architect of the universe does not permit the colors of his canvas to run together. Specifically, three categories are mentioned. Livestock, that's a general term referring to domesticated animals like cows and horses and goats and sheep and dogs and cats. The second one makes some of us squirm. Everything that creeps on the ground, this refers to small animals, reptiles, rodents, and snakes. The next time you're creeped out by a creepy creature, remember God created it for his glory. Maybe not for your good. (laughs) By the way, we live in Moline, and I now know why it's called Moline. It's because of all the moles in Moline. (laughs) They're just tearing things up. I'm not sure where they fit in all of this. The third category is beasts of the earth. These are wild animals like elephants and hippos and lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. (laughs) This sermon just became interactive. This also includes dinosaurs. Now, if we go back to verse 2, God brought order and design out of the chaos of formless emptiness by creating distinct and separate categories. Did you follow that? Let me say it again. I want to make sure we get this. This will set the table for next week next two weeks. If we go back to verse 2, God brought order and design out of the chaos of formless emptiness by creating distinct and separate categories. So in reflecting on our current cultural situation, I wrote down a sentence this week, and I crossed out a word, added a word, closed my folder, and came back to it to the next day, and tweaked it some more, and, and, and here's what I wrote down. Let's see if it resonates with you. 
because creation distinctions have now become fluid, we've slid back into a dark chaos, leaving us formless and unfulfilled. Friends, God forms and he fills his creation for his glory and for our good. Well, it looks like I still have some of the time Chris didn't use, so I want to make sure we end with some action steps. And I trust that you've been worshiping, and now what does this look like on Monday through this next week? Number one, give credit to God for his creation. Whenever you look up into the sky or when you see a plant, a fish, a bird, an animal, or even a creepy, creepy thing, train yourself to say these words. This is an easy assignment. Say these words, God made that. You could say it to yourself quietly if you don't want anybody to hear it, or say it out loud. It may lead to a gospel conversation with those who hear you say it. Recently, I was with a grandchild. We were out for a walk, and while we're walking, I was holding his hand, and I just pointed to the trees, and I said, God made those. Then we looked at the grass. I said, God made that. And we saw some birds overhead. I said, God made those birds. Friends, God wants us to find happiness in his handiwork, so let's just give him credit for it. Number two, Since God cares for his creation, trust him to care for you when you're struggling. And some of you are. You're going through grief. You've got a bad health diagnosis. My sister right here in the front row. How do you process all that? How do you deal with that anxiety that just builds and you struggle to sleep at night? Listen to the words of Jesus because he calls us to look to the creator and to his creation as an antidote for our anxiety. Matthew 6, words of Jesus, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? And then he says this, look at the, what? The birds. Look at the birds of the sky, of the air. Why? Well, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Friends, what are my problems to a God who can create everything out of nothing and then sovereignly give direction to all of those things? Number three, Increase your generosity and experience God's blessing. My guess is you've been struggling during this season of very high gas prices and utility costs and food costs and rising interest rates. I mean, everything feels more expensive, doesn't it? But amid these struggles, the Bible promises a blessing to those who give what has been given to them. I had an interesting experience on Thursday. I spent most of the day Thursday working and worshiping as I was putting this message together. I had just read a passage from the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 3, verse 10. 
Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a, what? Blessing until there is no more need. No more than 20 minutes later, I received a phone call from an Edgewood attender. And I could tell he was pumped up about something. He said, I got to tell you what just happened. See, he had been prompted to give some money to somebody he knew was struggling. And he told me that after he gave that money, he received an email from his employer notifying him that he was going to receive a check that he had not even known, he had not even known was coming. He was giddy on the phone. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I can't wait to give again. (laughs) Now, it doesn't always work like that, right? It doesn't, that blessing doesn't always come that fast and money doesn't always come back into your account when you give because obedience is really the issue and joy often comes. Let me take us back to this booklet, Your Church in You. I find it fascinating, the very last page of this booklet about the grace of giving, tithes, and offerings. We believe that God's method of financing the spread of the gospel is by the giving of tithes and offerings, that scriptural giving is one of the fundamentals of our faith, that it forms a part of our worship. I mean, these people got it. And then there are eight questions there. I just want to look at the first and the last. What is a tithe? Abram gave him a tenth of everything. That's Genesis 14, 20. Literally, a tithe is 10% of your income. I like to say a tithe is a good place to start, a good measuring stick. Last question, can you afford to tithe? Luke 6.38 says, give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We see again that when God blesses, he multiplies. So if you're wondering if you can afford to tithe, what I would say to that is you can't afford not to. Now, this statement has not changed from the original commitment made in 1905. That's the year Edgewood started. When over 40 charter members got together. And they believed God was calling them to launch a church. They made a covenant. Listen to what they covenanted together. Quote, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expense of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. Friends, we celebrate how the Holy Spirit is at work today. I don't know in my over 30 years of ministry where I have seen the Holy Spirit working like he's working now as I'm seeing evidence of revival and renewal and many rebirths. Our ministries are exploding with growth and involvement is higher than before COVID. The Spirit is blowing and our ministries are growing. And as a result, we're spending more in these ministries as our numbers have gone up and costs have increased as well. We're also thrilled that our mortgage balance is now below 2 million, standing at $1,780,262. However, our mortgage payments are $20,000 a month. 
So that's easily one of the largest expenses, accounting for nearly 11% of our budget, placing it nearly the same level as our missions budget. Many of us here are giving extra to help pay down our mortgage. Any extra giving that is marked go time or grow time or mortgage goes towards lowering our principal, which ends up saving a significant amount in interest. If that's something God leads you to do, simply write grow time on your check or select grow time from the drop-down menu if you give online. On Tuesday night, during our deacon meeting, we spent quite a bit of time looking at our budget, as I guess, my guess is many of us have during these last months. We've looked at spending patterns and cash flow and reserve and giving trends. Now, individual giving records are private. None of the pastors know. The only one who knows is our financial secretary. None of the other deacons know. Those are private and they'll remain so. But we rejoice that we have 704 giving units in 2022 compared to 671 last year. That's an increase of 33 That means more families are giving this year than gave last year. However, despite that increase, people are giving less than they gave last year. But we know God is still honored by everything which is given. So as a result, we've made some adjustments. And we're going to continue to monitor the situation as we close out the year and prepare budgets for next year. We're trusting God to provide as he has every year since 1905. We just thought you would want to know. Now, we recognize that the percent of people who are tithing, giving 10% in most churches across America is not what it should be. In response to this, One of the deacons made a comment that I found so refreshing. He said, I feel bad when I realize how many people aren't tithing because they are missing out on a blessing from God. It's a blessing to have deacons who have such a heart to serve as they ensure that we are stewarding God's resources for maximum kingdom impact. Now, when we give, we're simply giving back to God what's already his Properly understood, giving is an act of worship. And we don't give in order to get. We give to the glory of God. And God wants us to give generously, and when we do, he is blessed, we are blessed, and then he blesses those we're able to reach in our community and on the continents. And if you're ready to join God through your generosity, you can place your checks in the offering box in either lobby or you can give safely through our website or mobile app. Shortly after Dallas Seminary was founded in the 1920s, it almost closed because of bankruptcy. The founders met for prayer, and when it was Harry Ironside's turn, he prayed this prayer. Lord, we know that the cattle on a thousand hills are thine. Please sell some of them and send us the money. (laughs) Well, as the story goes, just then a Texas rancher came and gave them a check from the sale of two carloads of cattle for the exact amount of money needed to keep the seminary going. Dr. Lewis Berry Chafer, the president of the school, turned to Dr. Ironside and he said these words, Harry, God sold the cattle. (laughs) So let us know if you have any cattle to sell. (laughs) 
No, family, in all seriousness, if you're a regular, generous, worshipful giver to Edgewood and the work God is doing here and through our Go Team partners strategically positioned here in this community and around the globe, thank you. God is at work in you and in this place. Thank you for your partnership. And some of you are new and you're like, oh, I didn't know this church is talking about money. I'm not coming again. Listen, we, we don't talk about money very often. We talk about discipleship, and we talk about generosity, and we talk about blessing, and others of you might be giving, but God might be calling you to be more generous or even sacrificial, and I'm not trying to guilt anybody into giving. If, if you give out of guilt, that's not the right thing to do. Giving's in response to God's grace in our own lives. My heart is simply this. I wanted you to know about our situation, and I wanted to remind you that giving is one of our four core values, and it's part of our discipleship and part of our worship. See, when you give generously, God is blessed, you are blessed, and our neighbors and the nations are also blessed with the gospel. Fourth action step. Do you know God is still at work creating? He creates new lives. You can become someone you never were before through the new birth. And you're maybe today or you're gauging online or you're here, you're like, man, I need a new start. I need a fresh beginning. I need to become someone I never was before. You can do that by repenting of your sins and turning to receive Jesus Christ who paid the price for all of your sins when he died on the cross shedding his blood for you and was raised again on the third day. I'm going to invite you to stand now as we close. God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself through your creation. You've revealed yourself through the living word, Jesus Christ. And you've revealed yourself through the word, the scriptures that you've given to us. Thank you for our time of worship today. Lord, may we leave here worshiping Lord, our worship service really isn't over because now you call us to live as living sacrifices, offering our very lives to you as an act of worship. Lord, give us opportunities to point others to you, and Lord, help us to live in light now of what we've heard here today. Lord, for that individual who's not yet put their faith and trust in you, may today be their day of new birth, their day of salvation. Lord, would they simply turn from their sins, repent of them, and receive the free gift of eternal life by crying out, Jesus, save me from my sins. Apply what you've done on the cross to my life. I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. Make me born again. Jesus, thank you that you rose from the dead on the third day, showing your power over my own depravity, your power over death, and your power over the devil itself. Lord, now use all of us for your purposes, for your glory. Lord, as we have opportunity to tell your story, for the fame of your holy name, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Have a good rest of the day.